0: From WABE in Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. And I'm Tara Gatewood with Native America Calling from Albuquerque, New Mexico. This is America
1: Amplified. It's been an isolating year to say the least. And many of us just want to feel heard. I think it's important that non native people know that we are more than the sum of our tragedies climate
2: change, racial injustice, just crushing sometimes. People can't
3: go on forever, living on promises.
2: And Trump was completely right. You
4: can't shut the country down. But how do we move
5: forward? We have to ensure that our children, my children, will be able to breathe clean air. If our government isn't gonna help us, we got
6: each other's back. That strength of the American people to help their neighbors, and that's the true American spirit.
4: That's coming up after a short break. So stay with us. This is America Amplified Election 2020. Your voice counts. This is America Amplified. From WABE down south in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm Rose Scott. Each week, I'm teaming up with co-hosts from across the country to bring you a special national series. In a year like this one, we wanted to check in with you, our listeners, and simply ask, what's on your mind? And just as important, give you the space to speak on it. Our trans communities
6: are
7: left out on a lot of things.
6: The economy and so many areas is struggling. What are we going to do if another country interferes again on another election? Of
7: I am still waiting for a
2: government and a nation of the people, by the people, and for Has the people. Has enough
5: changed? No. But we are right there at the intersection where we can tackle the issue. So many
6: people do have that sense of hopelessness. I mean, the country is in such a divided place. Nobody wants to sit down to the table and talk because they are so far divided.
0: And that's where we come in. I'm Tara Gatewood with Native America Calling in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We've spent months just listening from farmland in Weboca, Oklahoma, to Anchorage, Alaska, to the I-4 corridor in Florida. And you've got our attention This is America
4: Amplified. Election 2020, your voice counts. When it comes to election coverage, we hear a lot about the candidates and the latest polls. When there is a chance to hear from the people who make up this diverse nation, and in an election year, it's usually all about who
0: you're voting for. Well, this hour we're talking about the issues that matter to you the needs and aspirations of our various communities. Now, Thursday
4: night, our presidential candidates made their closing arguments for the American people in the final debate before the election. So to start today's national conversation, we wanted to know if anything resonated for you. Political analysts are calling the debate tense but calm, remarking on who won. But did you, the voter, get what you needed to make up your mind ahead of the election? So here's what we heard.
7: The minimum wage. Our role is diminished on the world stage.
4: What are we going to do if another country interferes again on another election of ours?
7: Policing, racial injustice. COVID-19. They didn't spend a lot of
1: time on the economy. Healthcare is, is definitely one of the biggest issues of the day. I am Mary Maxine Luber. I am 26 and I live in Kansas City, Missouri. You know, what really stuck out to me, kind of especially in the throes of, of a pandemic, is that the subject of disability and, and disability justice was discussed because of COVID and the still very much unknown long-term effects of getting this virus, you know, we will likely have a huge influx of Americans with disabilities and, and folks who have pre-existing conditions. So. You know, I'm grateful that there was a conversation on the topic of healthcare since the candidates have, you know, very conflicting stances in that regard. My name is Rita Taylor. I live in
0: Plano, Texas, and I am 36 years old. You know, I wanted to hear from the president what are his plans for second term, what is his plan for the economy. Uh, Basically, I wanted to hear more about that. Um, I'm very excited about uh, Biden and everything else, and hopefully uh, people will will really understand that, you know, he really wants to lead the country.
4: I'm Robert Delfino from Pennsylvania, 30 years old. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I lean more towards the Republican side. I really do wish that they focused a little bit more on, you know, what are they gonna do to uh, pull this country together again? And Trump was completely right. You can't shut the country down. You can't keep on shutting it down. But how do we move forward? I wish that both candidates kind of went a little bit more in depth on North Korea, on Russia. What's going on right now, especially with the interference rumors?
7: I'm Glenna Stevenson. I'm 29 years old and I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. I now live in Kansas City. There are over 500 children who were separated from their parents at the border. That to me seems like it should have been really front and center in all of the debates. It's always been something that really touches me as a person that we don't learn our lesson from history about what can happen when you begin demonizing entire groups of people.
0: You know, hearing some of the voices that we just brought to folks right here, it really hits home, And especially when we talk about health And in our Native nations, we know that this is a really huge one and there is a direct relationship to the federal government with this. So what we're hearing from our federal leaders is important to our Native nations, among other things, uh, including resource development, both for and against it.
4: Now, I can tell you here in Georgia... Voters are concerned about housing affordability, the economy, health care always, education, and the plight of our rural communities and of course, our farmers.
0: Let's hear what America thinks as we head to Bemidji, Minnesota. Joining the program now is Anton Troyer, author and professor of Ojibwe at Bemidji State University. Anton, it is great to connect with you here. You know, when a country is stressed, it affects the people. And for you, thinking about how this even resonates to your own tribal community, what's the most important thing that you think people need to hear right now from their leaders? Did they hear it in the debate?
1: Yeah, thank you, Tara. I I think Native people, for starters, want what every American wants in the sense that we want the best opportunity to provide our children and grandchildren with long, healthy happy lives. And unfortunately, there are barriers to making that happen. And some of those barriers are really specific within the Indigenous community. Uh, Most Native people get their health care through the Indian Health Service, which has been grossly underfunded. Uh, The response to COVID, uh, if we could call it that, there were some dollars that were appropriated for Native nations. uh, That money was embargoed for a long time, and it really hampered the ability of tribes and tribal people to get and orchestrate proper health response for their people, resulting in many areas much disproportionately higher rates of infection and death from COVID. Both candidates have failed to deliver much of a response. I do feel oftentimes that At Native people, we experience marginalization and invisibility, and I I haven't seen anything that has really interrupted that, although I think we do have important choices to make in this election.
0: And Anton, traditional values in our Native communities are the foundation. Sometimes there's a springboard to regaining strength and balance, and a concept that I just got my head around not too long ago, um, coming from your own tribal roots, Mino Bimadzowin. Living a good life, what kind of lessons could this country use right now from our traditional indigenous values?
1: You know, there's so many ways to approach this really important concept. For me, Menbiimazi win the good life. I think indigenous people, even though we are very diverse internally, like different tribes and different people within the same tribe have very different experiences and even customs. but Uh, our people have been communal and have looked out for one another. And I think for example, it's hunting season for us up here and, uh, I have nine children and they all love to hunt. And when we do a a first kill feast, you know, the successful hunter gives away their entire kill. And the message is that your, your primary value is not your, not your ability to gather and hoard resources for yourself but your ability to take care of others. And I think this is something that has been sorely missing in American culture broadly and in our politics, especially. We other one another. um, We take an adversarial position with one another. There, I've heard some white folk who are really, you know, worried about uh, the loss of cultural, political, and economic power, that we're gonna flip roles between who is the oppressor and who is the oppressed. And so they're fighting with one another instead of working together to fight oppression in all its forms and make this country better for everyone.
4: Anton, this is Rose Scott from Atlanta, and you just talked about invisibility. So when you talk about getting those issues, those important issues to your community, to the candidates, whether it's on the federal, state, or local level, how would you assess you all are able to do that?
1: Well, it's an ongoing challenge. You know, for all of American history, Native people have been involved in many, many different ways. But, you know, it's part of the anatomy of colonialism to take one culture and use it to supplant all others. And it's very difficult, you know, for a country that has been steeped in colonialism to, to really practice true inclusivity. Um, someone's gonna win, someone's gonna lose has been the approach much more often and calling each other out rather than calling each other in. A lot of the native community has been really engaged in social activism and that includes on you know, quite nationally visibly, you know, like the Dakota Access Pipeline protest from a couple of years ago, but on all issues related to race and also climate change. So it's, there are many intersection points. And and so we continue to make our voices heard and in many places quite successfully, you know, if you just remove the Red Lake reservations vote from the, um, you know, last election cycles, last four or so election cycles that you actually have different outcomes where we're a very purple state and um, the native voice sways elections.
4: Well, we, we just got about a couple of minutes before we go to break, but Anton, I wanna get your thoughts on this based on what you just said. Then how would you assess voter participation from your community and was there a lot of voter engagement this election season?
1: You know, it depends on where you look. In In my community, voter en- engagement and participation is pretty high. Um, and for a long time, tribal leaders have been um, pushing to get the native vote out. But I think especially with our younger voters, even with my own kids, you know, I would talk to them about politics and where, you know, I got five kids out the door and four to go, and some are eligible to vote in their first elections now. And you know, they feel, they seem to feel a bit jaded. Like, you know, we have a choice between racism being explicit or racism being implicit rather than a choice for no racism. Um, and, you know, it's it's a bit heartbreaking, but I can't tell them they're wrong. And um, ultimately I, I think we have a long ways to go in America to generate an array of choices that are truly in alignment with the values and beliefs of of our people and our young people in particular.
4: Anton, stay with us. As the saying goes, everybody's talking and nobody's listening. Well, we're taking the opposite approach because we're listening and we're inviting everybody to talk. This is America Amplified, election 2020. Coming
3: up. There's a vision for the United States of America to be united. We've never achieved that vision.
0: How are you feeling just about a week out from the election? Tweet us at Amplified 2020. This is America Amplified.
4: Welcome back. I'm Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta.
0: And I'm Tara Gatewood with Native America Calling out of Studio 49 in Albuquerque. This is America Amplified Election 2020. Your voice counts. This
4: hour, we're focusing on you, what's going on in your community, and how are you coping? Let's get into that with Tiffany Wilburn Meek of Eastern Kentucky's Greenup County. And we're talking to Tiffany in part because her region typifies what's happening in many parts of rural America in March Tiffany's local hospital shut down. Tiffany, welcome to the program.
6: Hi, how are you?
4: Doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You know, I, I doing my research on Greenup County. First of, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful region with a population just under thirty six thousand. I want to ask you about that hospital, and I believe it's our it was Our Lady of Belfont Hospital.
6: Yes, ma'am. It was devastating for the area when it closed. It left so many people uncertain about where they were going to get health care, where their doctors were going to move to. We're fortunate enough to have another hospital in Ashland, which is the nearest big city. But Mm -hmm. that's about 15 minutes from where I live, which is still doable. But then if you go to the more rural areas, like out in the county, the roads are small, they're narrow. And what maybe 30 minutes, like mileage, may take you an hour, hour and a half. So if you think an ambulance has to travel to you and then travel back, your chance of survival is so minimal if it's a serious condition. So it's been devastating medically and then economically. It's had a huge effect. I mean, that lost so many people lost their jobs. They're Mm. considering having to move. Your housing market's affected. It's the ripple effect has been huge.
4: Yeah, I want to focus on what that closure meant for the local economy, because even trickling down to supporting uh, maybe a little league sport team or something like that, everyone is going to feel the effect of this this hospital closing.
6: Oh, exactly. Within weeks of the hospital announcing that it was closing, local um, charities started realizing they were going to have to scale back because it was going to affect donations. Festivals started saying, we can't have it this year because we're not going to have the funding. The tax base isn't going to be there. And then with COVID, that's added another layer. So it's hard to tell, you know, which has which is the cause and which is the effect of which. But I know I volunteered at a local animal rescue, and our donations have been down so much, and a lot of that is due to COVID. But I know a lot of it is from the closing of the hospital because it's just economically hurt everyone.
0: Just hearing your story, you know, it reminds me of some of the things that we hear in our reporting on our Native nations. And a change like this can really affect those holding off surgery because of the pandemic or have special care needs. Are you concerned for the type of people who might fall into this category? Um, Maybe those who will have to remap their health care plan.
6: Oh, it's so terrifying. I mean, I personally know people. Who received their health care at Our Lady of Belfond Hospital and then they had to move? That adds just a level of anxiety because you're switching doctors, you felt comfortable there, those type of things. But then they have had to delay care because they've, they've had to get into a new system and everything. And I think some people in the more rural areas probably have opted not to seek health care. Because a lot of them do not have vehicles because of the, their level of income. They have to get rides to these places. And if you are talking about getting a ride 20 minutes down the road, that may be doable. But you talk about having to get someone to drive you an hour down the road and then back, that may not be doable. And so I'm sure there's people who've done without health care because that hospital closed.
0: Well, you know, it's really concerning hearing that. and. If you're just joining us, this is America Amplified Election 2020. We've been talking about the plight of America's rural hospitals and concerns from indigenous community. Now, here is Robert Von Kempner in Jenner, California.
2: I have always looked through the lens of America from a perspective as genocide and slavery and of a certain amount of privilege. I look at America as a republic for which it stands, who has overthrown other other nations and even other democracies in order to coerce our will upon them. My perspective of America as an American Indian, German, Austrian, Jewish Christian is that I am still waiting for a government and a nation of the people, by the people, and for the people.
4: Hmm, not a very positive outlook. Tiffany, I want to get your thoughts on what you heard Robert say. What's your response?
6: I think so many people do have that sense of hopelessness. I mean, the country is in such a divided place. The economy and so many areas is struggling. It is struggling in eastern Kentucky, but we are not the exception to this and then you add COVID in, and that has caused so many small businesses fail and i just think that everywhere that people are just have a sense of hopelessness which is so sad i mean this is america we've always been the land of prosperity and it's just sad to me
4: well let me ask you this tiffany are you hearing the candidates talk about the plight of rural america enough
6: um Kentucky is known to be a Republican state. I don't think it's any surprise to anyone that Kentucky will most likely go for President Trump, whether you like that or not. So I don't think there's a big push to talk about states like Kentucky on a federal level because it's already decided. I mean, if you were to go to California, they're most likely going to go Democratic. I mean, these things are decided. You have swing states and that's where the focus is nationally.
0: I wanna bring into the conversation, Doug Freely, Of Nebraska City, Nebraska, Doug is the executive director at the Missouri River Basin Lewis and Clark Center. Welcome, Doug. Hi. Good to connect with you. Do you feel your voice is being heard right now?
3: Oh, not really. I think that uh, similar to what Tiffany said, Nebraska is a rural community, a rural state, and uh, has traditionally voted uh, Republican. So we don't get a whole lot of um, coverage from the national
0: candidates. And so for you, Doug, what would you like to see change?
3: Well, we have some real issues. And I think that as was stated by the gentleman from California, there's a vision for the United States of America uh, to aspire to, to be united, to treat everyone equally. We've never achieved that vision. What I'm looking for so badly is a leader who can inspire us uh, to lead us there. But instead, we get divisions, we get uh, the ads on, on television and radio are just terrible because they're so personal and it doesn't get to the real issues that we as a nation, we've got a lot of serious issues as a nation and locally, and that's what we need to be focusing on is coming together uh, to solve those We need some leadership.
4: Doug, this is Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. And of course, this is a year like no other with the pandemic. But I want to ask in your community, because you all have a town with fewer than 8,000 people, how you're all doing with this coronavirus?
3: Well, uh, it's been a struggle for certain businesses, especially, you know, shutting down the economy for two months uh, really had a direct effect on small businesses. Overall, uh, we have a a great local hospital, but the hospital is losing money because people are afraid to go to the hospital because they're afraid of getting COVID. Uh, So I think that I see that COVID has has created fear in lots of people's minds. It's gonna be a long time until some folks feel safe uh, going out and and resuming their health regimens, uh, even resuming their normal shopping patterns let alone going to a a public event, uh, even churches.
4: Well, that being the case, Doug, what concerns do you have about the future of
3: Nebraska City? We need to really address reducing the poverty levels. Our poverty levels here are higher than any neighboring community, even higher than the state average. And so that's something that a a group of volunteers and, and community leaders have been focusing on for the last three years, We also have a housing issue. It's so difficult in a small community when you don't have large developers. Uh, When you've got to build each house individually, it's very expensive. Last year, we had a tremendous flood, epic flood. And so people uh, in the uh, lower uh, levels of our uh, region were flooded out, and so they're looking for housing. And then you've got uh, childcare, because we have so many, a very high percentage of both both spouses working, and mm-hmm. and uh, that's very difficult for a family. We don't have uh, good quality, affordable childcare. So we've got some major issues locally that we need to be addressing.
4: We've talked about what needs to happen, what folks want on the federal level, but what about your local officials? Are they helping? Are they addressing these issues?
3: Absolutely. Uh, we've got some. We've got a great city council and mayor, very engaged serving on various nonprofit uh, entities and, commu- and community-based uh, organizations. We have something called uh, Community Prosperity Initiative. And that's for prosperity. When we talk prosperity, we, it's for everyone, every single citizen in our, in our rural community. And so we've had great engagement from our local leaders.
6: I think you do see that a lot in rural areas, that your community does pull together. Even if the leadership doesn't do it, the neighbors will pull together and help each other. And I know that's evident where I live. And I think that's just so important, that strength of the American people to help their neighbors and help their friends. And that's the true American spirit, I think, coming out.
2: In
0: a neighboring state to Nebraska is Wyoming. And here's some of the words from Joseph Lolly.
2: I'm sixth generation cattle ranchers. I cannot be in that business anymore because of the political policies of funding oil and gas wells in Wyoming, digging for coal, not believing in climate change, the forest fires moving up from Colorado into Wyoming, destroying the grassland. That is the foundation of Trump's party policies.
0: So Joseph says federal policies have taken a real toll on his everyday life. Doug, what do you make of that?
3: Well, we saw that with uh, the flood. And we, we were totally uh, almost ignored by the U.S. Corps of Engineers, uh, even by FEMA. FEMA came in and made a lot of promises, and those promises have not come to fruition. Uh, they, people were promised buyouts for their the property, their homes, and businesses that they lost. It's been 19 months, and we still have not seen any of those dollars. People can't go on forever living on promises, And so we've seen some real challenges just here locally uh, with um, a couple of major federal agencies. It's very, very disappointing.
4: Let's head to Florida, one of the states to definitely watch on election night. Micheline Bigman joins us. Micheline, welcome to America Amplified. Thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you. Let's begin here. You're a veteran. Yes. Thank you for your service. Question, have you been hearing issues this election season that, that greatly
8: impact your quality of life, as a veteran, not really. From what I what I've been seeing is, um, there is a lot of uh, chain of events that's happened due to COVID. It seemed like somewhere along the line, the veteran kind of got lost. Being an advocate and a voice for uh, veterans as Native American women warriors, that's one thing I always surface. Is you know, don't forget about the veterans. You know, some of us fought to give you that option and that right.
0: Micheline, this is Tara. Knowing the important role that our our warriors play in our tribal communities, we look to them to be on the front lines. And for you, just thinking about your experience as a veteran and coming from tribal roots, and thinking of how we are asking many people to be on the front lines, whether it's the pandemic or understanding these difficult discussions about race or bringing down systemic racism, what kind of things do you use from your own experience as a veteran to apply right into the times that we're living in?
8: I guess it's just following the, the traditions in uh, displaying them, but at the same time using the voice. My sister always said, you always have a big mouth, so this is where you get a chance to use it. So sometimes I use it in that sense. But, you know, again, it's just reaching out to those those uh, leaderships. And at the same time, hanging on to what we were taught as natives. When you go to speak to somebody, I'm going to reach at you as a Native American veteran. But also I'm going to reach to you as uh, a soldier of the United States military. So it's a, a combination of both. And it's it's a variety of voices to 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 either take a stand or make
4: a point, and Micheline, you talked about the concerns, and you as a veteran, and then also as 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 a as a native. And I'm curious because you're at an intersection of a lot of different tentacles that are important to you. I mean, healthcare. If you could speak to those policymakers, what are those issues you want them to focus
8: on? When you come from battle, you're kind of you know, your your spirit is broken in so many ways. As Native Americans, we're placed like on the reservations. A lot of times we don't have access to the health, whether it's mental, physical, whether it's even just for counseling. We don't have those. And some of the Natives, they don't have the transportation. What about mobile? You know, is there some way we can kind of like come up with something like that? Native American veterans hold the biggest per capita um, when it comes to serving in our armed forces versus the rest of the demographic ethnicities. We hold the biggest numbers. Mm.
4: From Florida, let's head out to Oklahoma, where Garrett Haskins is a farmer from Kay County, Oklahoma. He farms wheat, soybeans, and other crops. Now, Garrett says a big part of farming is having faith, especially during an event like a pandemic.
5: As farmers, it seems like we're all the time hit with obstacles, and challenges that the rest of the world don't have to face so much. And this was one of those that not only farmers had to face, but everybody kind of had a face, you know, so you weren't really in it alone. And some of the obstacles that we all had to go through, whether it's shortages or something like that. So it's kind of a, a, a global thing for once instead of just kind of like a personal thing. So
0: Garrett's saying the pandemic leveled the playing field, gave us all hardships to go through, bridging that disconnect we might otherwise experience. Tiffany
6: Your thoughts. I think that is such a good point and one that I personally had never thought of, but it COVID affects everyone economically. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, on the wealthy end or the poor end. Doesn't matter what your race is, your gender, it affects us all. And it has probably leveled the playing field in that sense and maybe gave us a better perspective into what our neighbors are going through, whether they are neighbors locally or there are neighbors on the other end of the country. And I think Garrett makes a great point with that.
0: And Doug, for you, how did Garrett's words touch you? Yeah, I can certainly relate to
3: that. Um, We saw such generosity from local individuals. We had several people, we had a fund set up for COVID relief and recovery. And we had several people send us their CARES Act $1,200 check. They said, we don't need this money. Uh, let's give it to someone who does. And so uh, I certainly saw COVID uh, bring people together and and understand how much other people were hurting and sharing their, sh- it, it just like was said before, you know, you share the, the harvest, you share the wealth.
0: Micheline, I know that our farmers, those who grow, those who keep the seeds play a really important role in everything we do in our communities. Is there anything else you wanted to add after hearing Garrett?
8: I think he just hit the nail on the head. Same with uh, Tiffany and Doug. COVID has managed to hit America in so many, so many negatives. But what I've seen is how um, the initial Americans, you know, come together to help each other out, and that's one thing that uh, I don't think that'll be taken away from us is the fact that we, if if our government isn't going to help us. <laughs> We got each other's back, and that's what I see. And that, that, that makes me proud to be American.
4: Thank you all so much for being part of this conversation. Doug in Nebraska, Tiffany in Kentucky, Micheline down in Florida, thank you for adding your voice to this conversation. Because this hour, it's all about what matters to you this election season. and We ask, what's been missing
0: in the debates or even in national media coverage? Share your thoughts. We're getting closer to the election How are you feeling? Tweet us at Amplified 2020, coming up.
1: Young people rightly want change. Are we going to develop meaningful reforms in this country? If we're not, then we risk a revolution because the change is coming.
0: We'll be right back. This is America Amplified. Welcome back. I'm Tara Gatewood with Native America Calling in Albuquerque.
4: And I'm Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. This is America Amplified Election 2020. Your voice counts. If you're just joining us, we've been talking this hour about the issues facing so many communities. And Tara, you and I, we've heard a lot, uh, even from our own lived experiences, people who look like us, people from
0: our communities, people who don't look like us. There's a lot to be considered. There are issues that we cover weekly on our nationally syndicated radio call-in show, um, especially when we talk about health care. Uh, really resonated with a lot of things that Doug was talking about, some of the challenges that are there. And so we are talking in a time where we constantly hear it's a divided time. But hearing that our struggles are unified, I think that may be a place um, where we can start some of these dialogues, where we are hearing that there are just walls and barriers. But when we start seeing a lot of us are going through similar struggles, and especially when I think of our own tribal communities, Um, who are facing this pandemic. And a lot of people are taking a look at the numbers and how they're rising in certain areas and thinking about all of the generations that this could affect and inevitably could mean that our our traditions, uh, you know, could be uh, challenged. And and I'm hearing that in other ways, things that are important to people in other areas. They're being challenged right now. Mm -hmm. And and so it's interesting to just know um, what's happening when we look big and when we look small.
4: No one owns a patent on struggling, that is for sure. So tweet us at Amplified2020. We want to hear from you. We want to know what's important to your community. But more important, how come folks aren't talking about what's important to your community? And how do you let them know? Tweet us at Amplified2020.
0: We'll continue the conversation asking the question, what's important to your community and your family And are you hearing those concerns addressed by local and national political leaders? What about tribal leaders? Let's welcome Maddie Jim. Uh, Maddie is of the Zuni People Clan and born for the Towering House People Clan. Maddie joins us out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. We're asking about what issues you feel have been missing or are rarely discussed this election season. We're ready to hear you.
7: Maddie, start us off. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, first and foremost. Um, I identify as a native transgender woman. So a lot of times in elections or uh, political talks, I feel like our trans communities are left out on a lot of things, Um, not just on the national level, but sometimes could be on the state level or tribal level. And that's one of the, the things that I try to look out for because I do a lot of advocacy on the national level. And we see a lot of discrimination still happening within our trans community. So I try to advocate for that. So for me, it's around, how does this affect me as a trans individual and what I see within our communities and also within our government, especially around like protection or around laws that, are, that will be created or policies that will be created to help us um, be a part of our, our national society
0: just seeing that there are you know statues coming down barriers coming down do you feel that anything has come down for the lgbtq community
7: um i i believe so especially being native american i think um Um, Anton kind of addressed some of that, the issues with Native American populations. And I think sometimes it goes even deeper when it comes to Native LGBT communities, especially um, policies and laws within our own tribal governments and what's going on within our communities and that. Like, I come from the Navajo Nation, and we have a ban on gay marriage. And so looking at that, I feel that comes from a Western context. When I see that um, there are 13 other tribal um, entities that Um, recognize gay marriage within their communities. And we have over 500 tribal communities in the nation.
8: Mm.
4: Let's bring in Mikis Mays Jr. He attends Savannah State University here in Georgia. Mikis, first of all, go Tigers, right?
5: Oh, yes, ma'am. Go Tigers. (laughs)
4: Listen, you're going to be graduating soon. What concerns
5: you, I would say voter suppression, uh, mm-hmm. mental health issues, and education um, issues. And to, to get into the voting suppression issue, I was actually trying to place a voting poll on campus, and um, the the Board of Elections here at uh, Chatham County had me jump through various hoops, and I jumped through all of them, mm-hmm. and yet the polling location seems as though it's still not going to fall through as far as um, being able to allow an excess of people to vote in mass. Now the current voting location is small and it doesn't necessarily give the ability for social distancing within COVID guidelines. So Mm -hmm. allowing a larger facility will allow more people to come through and vote and also have shorter lines. And um, it it seems as though the Board of Elections is not allowing this. So definitely voter suppression, I feel, is uh, one of the main focuses that I've been going through this semester.
4: You mentioned education. We know this pandemic expose the disparities within education, which have been there for so long. So when we talk about education, the candidates, sometimes they can say the right things, but execution is another. And how optimistic are you that when it comes to education and all these things that candidates talk about, that there will be some actionable outcome in this area?
5: Honestly, I'm not very optimistic on on the topic of education regarding the candidates because I I never see any bills put forth to Um, fund certain institutions, whether it's at the uh, post-secondary level or um, below such. In grade school, um, there's several instances that back home, we have suburban communities with wonderful, uh, nice, brand-new textbooks, while the urban communities have five-year-old textbooks. And those type of disparities are honestly unacceptable, and there needs to be equality within the education system.
7: Um, To go a little further... Um, especially with tribal communities, I think the candidates um, really don't address some of those issues. And a lot of times I, I feel that the federal government rely on their tribal, um, our tribal uh, officials to take care of our own and stuff. And with with education, a lot of times people don't factor in with tribal communities on the reservation, how far away people live with each other and transportation could be an issue or even with mm. education, a lot of times if kids are staying at home, how far in between the families is the, the distance and also is internet accessible? and the reservation, it's very spotty.
4: Mm. Maddie, where you are in Albuquerque, New Mexico, how would you assess policymakers, lawmakers, being able to, to address the disparities and what other
7: areas you might feel are important? I feel that we do have officials within our state that do... Um, look out for our populations, not just as a trans individual, but also as a native individual. We have a state that has 21 uh, tribal communities within our state. And the way things are addressed from our officials, I feel is good coming from my perspective, especially with trans issues, we didn't have a mayor who has come to a a transgender resource center that's here in Albuquerque and asked questions and wanted to know more about what resources are available to our trans population. So for me, that type of official, I think stands out than any other, if I'm included or if we're being asked um, to have a seat at the table.
0: And so Anton, I wanna jump in here and just ask your thoughts because what we're hearing from uh, both Maddie and Mikis, it's the youth. And we know how important it is that we're providing a strong foundation for our young people.
1: Sure. You know, first of all, I think every culture always has a tension about cultural continuity and cultural change. We need both. And, you know, these tensions, I think, are highlighted in the Native community, too. I've kind of never met an elder from any community who didn't shake his or her head side to side and go, kids these days. But at the same time, you know, what I'm hearing from young people, my students at the university, I have nine kids at home, and they very much want change. They want change on the racial front. They want to be safe. Like, you know, I'm a fuddy-duddy professor. I've been pulled over by the cops 40 times. And all of my teenage drivers have been pulled over. And it's not because we're breaking the law, you know, we're concerned about funding for our tribal law enforcement and dealing with health and safety in our communities. I think we need some truth and reconciliation work in that area and young people want to see change. And young people are very passionate about the environment. You know, it's not just pipelines, but you know, and mines and things like that that are degrading the environment in our area. But I mean, the Ojibwe may not even be able to harvest wild rice if we don't get in front of climate change. It's something that impacts identity, and with health, it's not just the short-term COVID concerns, but the long-term health concerns. You know, the life expectancy for a native male in North Dakota is like 57 years, and they tell you to save money for retirement. Ultimately, young people rightly want change, and it's a question of this. Are we going to develop meaningful reforms in this country? And if so, a reform agenda through the political arena can produce results. But if we're not, then we risk a revolution because the change is coming. uh, No matter what side of history someone wants to land on, on the political front, and we have to find a way to create greater access to opportunity for all of our people and greater safety, or the change is going to come in a very uncomfortable way.
0: If you're just joining us, this is America Amplified Election 2020. I'm Tara Gatewood with Native America Calling. Here is a voicemail we got from Mari Hirobayashi from St. Paul, Minnesota.
2: I'm a millennial in people my age and younger. The problems that they're confronted with, that they've inherited from past generations, are so overwhelming, whether you're talking about climate change or inequality, racial injustice in our country. And it just is daunting. Mm-hmm. Then, on top of that, crushing student debt you know, you now need to have two people working in order to be able to just pay your basic bills in a household and the astronomical cost of childcare, everything. It's just crushing sometimes. It just leads to so much cynicism and, and hopelessness.
4: Mm. You all heard Mari talk about inheriting past generations, those issues. I'm going to ask if you relate to any of this, and, and Micah, I'll
5: start with you. I can definitely say for sure that we have inherited uh, climate change because I distinctly remember um, October being cold and not warm um, in the <laughs> southern uh, part of the United States. So uh, I definitely feel as though we need to tackle these issues and bring forth um, actual renewable energy resources and um, more knowledge and awareness and research and development to engineering, so that way we can you know come up with the next level of technologies that will you know power the entire world, honestly. This is so important because we have to ensure that our children, my children, will be able to breathe clean air. So I definitely don't think that it's too big of a cup to, to take on or to swallow. Anton, with
0: so much, how do we pull out of all of this? How do we face the future? You know, get us to that next point.
1: You know, listening to everyone else on the show, you know, I really find myself in agreement with uh, with what's being said here today. First of all, as Native people, I think it's important that non-Native people know that we are more than the sum of our tragedies. Ultimately, I feel that within our indigenous spaces that we have more than a vestigial remnant of some really different ways of looking at the world and solving problems, things that can and should pollinate the garden that we're all trying to harvest from. And by that, I mean in a cultural sense and which will reverberate throughout our politics and social fabric. In, in the great span of time, democracy is a pretty new way of constructing a nation. And for most of human history, all humans of of all groups have been indigenous and earth-based and communal. And although we are complex and live in big cities and in a huge country, the real test of our democracy will not be who wins the culture war and obliterates all the other cultures, but who figures out how to transform us, into a society where we will be measured by our ability not just to tolerate, but to support all kinds of linguistic and cultural diversity so we can truly learn from and appreciate one another. And I have hope for that.
4: That is a good way to end this conversation. Thank you so much, Anton, Mikis, and Maddie. And look, we know this year has, has made it hard for folks to come together physically, we know that. But even with so many ideological divides that do run deep, that doesn't stop us from trying. And, you know, here at America Amplify, we've been bringing you stories that show us how towns and communities are coming together. And that includes the small town of Pound, Virginia, where local storytellers are finding that reviving old Appalachian folktales might just be exactly what the town needs. Growing up, my, grand, my great-grandparents, they would just tell stories, and I remember spending the night with them, and, and that would be the thing. is like, tell
8: us a story. My name is Debbie Hale. I live on Lovelady Gap in Lee County, Virginia.
4: It's kind of bringing back an art that people used to have
8: before we had um, television, definitely, and I guess maybe even radio, and we're hoping to keep that
4: alive, that people can pass that down, I
2: guess. Hi, I'm Marley Green. I live in the town of Pound in Virginia. And I'm helping to organize the Red Fox Storytelling Festival. We um, feature local and regional storytellers and musicians. The virus has been really tough on our community and it's been hard to you know, kind of keep your head up and keep going without those normal ways of being in community together. Part of what storytelling has meant for people here is a way of telling history that also teaches lessons about today and about how we got to where we are and how our history can inform our future.
3: I'm Linda Hubbard. This story's name, The Cow That Gave Jellied Milk. Now, there's a portion of land at the foot of Red Onion Mountain that my dad gave to my brother, Otis. This was called the Bob Hollow. My mother had a neighbor named Sari, who lived close by. It was rumored that Sari was a witch, but mother and dad didn't believe it. One day, Sari came for a visit. When she was leaving the cow came close to the house. She was a beautiful cow with big full bag of milk, as her calf had just been weaned a few weeks before. Now Sari walked all around that cow, mumbling and making gestures with her hands, and soon it became milking time.
0: This postcard comes to us from reporter Sidney Bowles out of the Ohio Valley Resource in Whitesburg, Kentucky.
4: We want to thank everyone who joined us this hour for America Amplified Election 2020. You can always listen back to the episode
0: at americaamplified.org. Our producers are Monica Brain, Maya Aina, and Grace Walker. Our senior producer and director is Andrea Tudhope. Our executive directors are Alisa Barba and Donna Vestal. Kathy Lou is our digital editor. Our community engagement gurus are Matthew Long Middleton, Anne Alquist, and Jennifer Tufts. Special thanks as
4: always to KCUR in Kansas City, W-A-B-E here in Atlanta. Alaska Public Media, and Native Voice One, a Native American radio network. America Amplified is supported by
0: the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This conversation doesn't end here. We want to know what matters to you this election season. Find us on Twitter at Amplified 2020. From WABE here in Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. And I'm Tara Gatewood with Native America Calling in Albuquerque. This is America Amplified, Election 2020 your voice counts.